Here's a sound that no one associates with the great New York State Fair. That's the sound of organ music, but it is part of the great New York State Fair, and it is one of the many things that you don't know about the fair that you will know by the time you're done with this edition of All's Fair. When you think of the New York State Fair, what comes to mind? The rides? The food? The animals? This podcast takes you behind the scenes of all of those to the amazing stories hiding underneath. Welcome to All's Fair. Hello and welcome back to another season of All's Fair, the only state fair podcast in the whole wide world. My name is Dave Bullard. I'm the public relations manager here at the great New York State Fair, and we do mean great. And uh, we're back for another season of telling you about the things that make up the fair and, and why you'd want to come and the things that, uh, that you enjoy. This year, we're going to spend a lot more time talking to some of the folks who make the fair happen, some of the elements and things that, that go on around here today. Uh, and one of the people who's going to help us get this done is our good buddy, Mike. Now, Mike is here. He's my co-host, and he is also a gentleman who has spent some time at the fair after being a, a no-fair person all his life, right, Mike? I was a no-fair person. I'd never been here last year, first time. We don't hold it against you. Mike, since you're going to be my co-host this year, please explain to the people who you are and why they care. Hey, everybody. My name is Mike McGinnis, and I managed to make it into a commercial last year for the Great New York State Fair. It was my first time coming to the fair, and this will be my second time. And although we did a lot last year, I'm excited to come back and do even more this year. That's excellent. So, Mike, you were here for the first time last year. What did you find out that you didn't know that you needed to know about the fair? Uh, well, this place is big and there's a <laughs> lot to do. <laughs> we ran around this place like madmen, just trying to do everything we could in a short, I don't know, 18 hour period, 12 hours, however long it was. And uh, you can game plan or you can go all out and just kind of uh, free flow the thing. But there's a lot for you to do and uh, it's out there and it's ready to go. And that's sort of a topic of today's conversation. It's called, Did You Know? We're going to explore the things that you may not know the fair has that you should know. One of them is a beautiful building, one of our old buildings in the, in the quad of the fairgrounds, called the Art and Home Center. And the Art and Home Center is the home of a lot of different stuff. We've got one of the people with us today, Mike, who, who can help us explain some of what goes on in that building. And I, I want to welcome Phil Edwards. Hello, Phil. Welcome. Good morning. And Phil, uh, tell us who you are and what you do for the fair. My name is Phil Edwards, and I'm the superintendent of the Art and Home Center's Empire Theater. I've worked there uh, pretty much now for, this will be my 25th year. Do you think that out of 100 people who go to the fair, how many out of 100 would know that there is a theater at the fair? I would say probably about 75 of them, because yeah. we can be very busy, uh, very, very popular part of the fair. So there's a, so we're reaching 25% of the people today who have no idea about this beautiful Empire Theater. Walk us through it. Also, I would just like to add in, I am part of that 25% because although we did a ton last year, I didn't go to this place and I need to know what's going on in there. Okay. Well, when you walk in the Art and Home Center, uh, the main stairway right in front of you is to the Empire Theater. The uh, building was built in 1936 the, uh, as the women's building, and we believe that the theater was put in as mostly uh, an area where uh, the ladies could uh, 
have public meetings, talks, lectures, and that sort of thing. Fast forwarding several years, uh, the theater has turned into more of a performing arts venue, and it was named the Empire Theater actually by the uh, Theater Pipe Organ Society that moved into the building in 1966. So what goes on in there? During the fair, we have all sorts of performances, dancing, music, film. We also, last year, had our uh, drone festival screened in the theater. We have various lectures, uh, talks, uh, educational programs, musical programs, and, and a lot of entertainment. It's a performing arts stage. Now, how many people, on average, are going to be in this area at any given time? The theater is a, basically the same uh, as any other area of the fairgrounds, whereas people come and go all the time. During the hot days, we have air conditioning, so it's a very popular uh, venue to come in and sit down, cool off. Okay, so you've mentioned the, the performing arts that go on in there, and you almost got around to talking about the greatest thing that exists in that building, in that theater, which is that old movie pipe organ. Yeah, the Wurlitzer pipe organ uh, was made in 1925. It was originally installed in the RKO Keith Theater in downtown Syracuse. In 1966, a group of dedicated uh, preservationists got together to save this Wurlitzer pipe organ uh, from being demolished with the theater, and they moved it here to the state fairgrounds and permanently installed it in the theater in 1966 and made playable in 1967. And it has thrilled many people for over 50 years. It's been performing here, which ironically, it's been performing here at the fairgrounds longer than it was in its original location. The Wurlitzer was made by the Rudolph Wurlitzer Company in North Tonawanda, New York. And uh, it's a very famous organ, being the very last one in the central New York area made by Wurlitzer. And it's in a museum setting, so it's maintained and used just the same exact way today as it was uh, nearly a hundred years ago. So you saved it from like the brink of destruction is what it sounds like. We had an organ that was almost going nowhere. We brought it back into the fair. We got it here. Who's operating this thing? We have several touring artists from all over the state as well as the world that come uh, and perform on this throughout the year. Uh, During the state fair, we'll have about three or four different organists from around the area here that volunteer their time to come and perform on this Wurlitzer for the uh, visitors of the fair. In fact, let's let's take a listen to some of that right now. Phil, you brought us some music, so tell us us what we're about to listen to. This was a concert uh, held several years ago. Uh, by the name of Arnold Loxham, and uh, he's playing a tune called In the Good Old Summertime, which very much uh, uh, shows off the uh, uniqueness of this organ. So let's listen to a little bit of that right now. So that's In the Good Old Summertime. This was recorded in 1983. 83. Boy, this goes back a long ways. Now, well, here's the thing, Mike, that you don't know. You know what an <laughs> organ looks like, right? You know, Correct. Right? Yep, got that. But what you see out there, Phil, correct me if I'm wrong, is about one-tenth of the actual organ. That's correct. Behind stage, we have nearly 800 pipes and sound effects, drums, percussions, xylophones, cymbals, 
harps, uh, all sorts of stuff that an orchestra would use to uh, accompany a silent film or a regular uh, musical interlude. To accompany silent films, we have noisemakers such as car horns, uh, sirens, uh, horses' hooves, all sorts of wonderful stuff that helps a silent film be more realistic. Is there anything this organ can't do? This organ, unfortunately, doesn't play by itself. It doesn't play by itself. (laughs) No, there's no role player attached to it. So when people listen to a song like this, I mean, people specifically come in to hear this, this beautiful old organ, right? Do you ever see faces in there from people who are younger than that movie age, you know, when this would have been fairly (laughs) common? And, and what do you see in those people? A lot of the uh, people that come in, they, they love to see the silent films. You know, the, uh, it was built for the motion picture industry, and the uh, younger generation is enthralled with uh, this new form of entertainment. They love it. It's, it's live performing to an old flick is basically what it is. I've got, just as we wrap this up, I just have to tell one tiny little story. Um, my anniversary falls... Just a few days before the fair every year. And, of course, you know what it's like here, Phil. Everybody's here seven days a week, you know, uh, umpteen hours a day leading up to the fair. So I walked into the Empire Theater uh, one day uh, during the fair, and the organist was playing uh, a song. And I recorded that song and sent it to my wife. I videotaped it and sent it to her because it was our song from our wedding. It was the old chestnut, uh, uh, My Romance. Um, I, I forget who recorded it but originally. But we used the James Taylor version. He was playing that, and I got to send that to my wife, who doesn't see me for about a month, and I, and I send it to her every year now because I have it from there. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great musical instrument. It's uh it's very very rare to find in today's world. There's only about four or five different six different organs in the state of New York, and this one here was actually made in New York. Uh, used here in New York, and it's now in the, basically, as I call it, the showplace theater of the uh, state. All right, Phil Edwards, thank you. Superintendent of the uh, the Empire Theater at the Art and Home Center, and also a guy you want to see up on the third floor of the Art and Home Center once in a while, right, Phil? For the uh, Absolutely. Empire State Musical Instrument Museum that I, I maybe 75% of people know about the theater, but a lot fewer get into that museum every year. Yeah, the museum has been there, like I said, since 1966. It is a very, very tightly held secret, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, be sure to get up there, sit down uh, in front of the player piano, try out a role on a 100-year-old piano piano that was also made in New York State. So musical history is alive and well here at the fairgrounds. Phil, thanks a lot for coming in and taking time for Mike and I on All's Fair. Thank you very much. So Mike, next up on uh, this edition of All's Fair, when we're talking about stuff that you may not know about the fair, you know we got animals at the fair, right? Oh, yes, I do. I mean, it's it, not just animals that you deep fry and eat, but you have we have the actual... <laughs> Real four-legged thing. All shapes and sizes. I came in and saw some little guys. I also came and fed a carrot to a giraffe, I think. (laughs) So that happened, too. That's that's a long ways up. And then that carrot (laughs) goes back a long ways down. Way down. Um, So we've got with us now the one person who knows more about animals at the fair than anybody. Oh. It is my pleasure to introduce my coworker and friend, Mary Ellen Chesbro. She is the agriculture manager of the fair and has been here since 18 what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been here, Mel? Since 97. 1997. So she's been here a long time. Mel, welcome. 
Thank you. Well, thank you kindly. Thanks for thanks for spending time with us. <laughs> so I'll get this started, but I think Mike's got more questions than I do because you know I work here. So what's what is the one thing that people find surprising about animals here when you start talking about what we have? I think they're surprised that they come one day and there's one type of animal and they come another and all of a sudden either the barn is empty or there's other kind of animals. And what they don't realize is that we have a total of 10,000 animals here during the 13 days oh, and we certainly goodness. can't fit them all at the same time. So our dairy cattle, they are here for like five, six days then we have to send them all home. The whole barn has to be cleaned out, disinfected, rebedded before we send in our whole next thing of dairy cattle. So there is a timeline in the middle because obviously we have to have time to clean that you don't see them. Sheep, goats, they both do the same thing. In fact, this year with sheep, there's going to be three change outs because we have so many sheep, we can't fit them in even two shifts. So this year it's, it's a different, we're having the youth sheep and then they're gonna go home and then you're gonna have the weather sires and market lambs, then they're gonna go home and then we're gonna have the open sheep and they'll be here and then they'll go home. You, you realize you just use terminology that nobody else understands. <laughs> right? And that keeps it interesting for everybody. So in order to find out the difference between a weather sheep and a youth sheep and an open sheep, you need to come to the fair and see them. Okay, let me get this right. You said 10,000 animals. Yes. And, and then how they rotate throughout the days. Mm-hmm. And what's the rotation? Is it every couple days? Is well, it? you see, the dairy cattle, they do it after six days, six and a half days. The beef cattle do it every four days. The sheep do it five days, three days, another five days. Poultry are going to be here all this year the same time. They're not going to shift out. The llamas are only here from Wednesday to Saturday. Then they shift out. And then it's their shifts all the time. It's not any particular one. Do we get like a like an animal parade as they're shifting out? Like this well, is end of my shift. Well, if you're here, yeah, if you're here when they're shifting out, you'll see livestock trailers coming in, emptying, going back, new ones coming in. It's fun to watch them coming in and out. It really is. They've all got to be haltered in. And it's a whole, um, it's an enterprise. It really is. But this is something that tends to take place at night when when. Folks aren't around. We try to yeah. ah. as much as we can. We do because obviously there's a lot of people. How many people are involved with this? There's 10,000 animals, but there's got to be a bunch of people in there. Every single barn has run by a superintendent who they're specifically knowledgeable about that particular species. So then they know the type of bedding that we have to have. They know the ventilation we need. They know the feed that we need. And like with your dairy cattle, sheep and llamas, the owners are right here. They're feeding their own animals. They're bringing their own feed in. But for your poultry and rabbits and guinea pigs, we don't have enough room for everybody. There's so many of them. So we feed them. We buy the feed ahead of time. And then we are responsible for feeding them, making sure their cages are clean, making sure they've got enough water. And one thing about the ducks, people come into the <laughs> duck farm and they'll, they'll say, oh my gosh, that duck doesn't have any water. Trust me, they're watered four, five, six times a day. But as any duck, as soon as they have water, their beak is going in and and then there's water everywhere. So, but we keep refilling it. So a lot of people say, oh my gosh, there isn't any. Trust me, there's, we have, I think, 25 people on payroll in that barn alone that we pay oh, to be man. there in shifts to make sure. So there's a lot of people. And then not, there's the cleaning people. We've got people that have to come in and clean. Not to mention them. Thing. Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of them. A lot of equipment, a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of poop. A lot of poop. <laughs> what tons ha yeah. of it. Well, that's a real 
What happens with that? <laughs> well, some of the animals have... To, now, the llamas are very interesting oh. because llamas will only go to the bathroom in one spot. You can train them. So all the llamas, they don't mess up in their own beds and their stalls and everything. Hmm. The owners will take them out to the manure pit, which is behind there, and they will take a coffee can of manure, put it in that manure pile, and now that llama will only go to the bathroom in that pit. Llamas. Yes. Amazing. Llamas and alpacas will do that. Never knew that. Now, the rest of them, they just kind of go wherever they want. You look out. So there is a lot of cleaning. So the owners are cleaning them out or the fair is cleaning them out continuously. So we're moving it into a larger manure pit, which is located near each of the barns. And then during the fair at night, the manure removal guy comes in and fills it all up and takes it, except for the dairy cattle, because that's so much, because we really clean out the whole, whole barn. <laughs> we are there probably about four hours of huge payloaders and dump trucks that are just coming in and going out. Oh, it's and a process. Huge process, yes. <laughs> now, last year, I, I got to attend for a little bit, and one of the things that I saw was, I think, I think, a rooster crowing competition, is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely, we have one every single day at noon, and then on Labor Day, the winner from each of those days becomes a grand champion rooster crowing contest, and fairgoers are the ones that judge them. So every day, a fairgoer comes in the poultry barn around noon, and they'll be asking for people to help judge, and what you've got to do is you you are assigned a rooster, and you have to stand there and count how many times they yes. crow in a certain amount of time. That's what I saw. I was because I was standing there and I was it was just everywhere, right? Yes. And yes. I saw people behind just like one, two, three with their fingers yep. up in the air the whole time. Yep. They're counting how many clucks or roosters or crows. Yes, crows. How many crows that they do in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Man. Competitions. Is there more competitions that happen? Oh, there's competitions every single day here. There's competitions before the fair. Competitions the first day of the fair. Competitions the second. We have foraging grain that's going on the first Saturday. We've got animal competitions just about every single day, different ones, because there's so many, and you've only got a show ring per barn, so they've got to get those animals in, and they've got to show them, and then they've got to come out, and the next class comes in. So it's a continuous. You'll see animals being judged. They'll be judged on their fleece. They'll be judged on how well they fit. They'll be judged on how much milk they produced. There's a goat competition, that the milk production. They have to milk them in the morning and milk them at night, and then they, they measure the amount of milk to see which one wins the milk production. And there's a day when you can milk a goat too, right? Absolutely. You can milk a goat. You can lead yeah. a calf. You can lead a llama. So if I show up, Yep. On the right day, mm -hmm. I can milk a goat. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Well, you can have the opportunity. I can have the opportunities. <laughs> yeah, who knows if I can actually it, do it know, or not. It's a skill. You are just overflowing with information that I had no idea about before you sat down for this. And the beef cattle. Now, beef animals are different than dairy. Beef animals like to be outside in the air. So at night, they almost all of the beef cattle are tied out behind the beef barn. So we let them go. They're tied out at night. They're outside. They're outside. We have regular tie-out pens that we put the beef cattle out at night. And then in the morning, they come back in again. Man, okay. Now, here's a question for you guys. Is there such thing as a show bunny? Oh, my goodness. And hopping bunnies, too. We have rabbit hopping at the in the poultry barn almost every day. At 2 o'clock, there'll be rabbit That's hopping. That's another competition? Yes, it is. Rabbit hopping? Rabbit hopping. They've got little things they have to jump over and go and make it a certain amount of time. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the angoras. Oh, oh, wait a minute. If you come on senior day, there's angora day, and they take the large, giant angora rabbits. They 
Uh, oh, and Angora the, is a giant yes, rabbit. Yes, a giant rabbit that you get Angora sweaters out of. And they take the fur, and they cut off the fur, and then they weave it, and they make mittens right there. So you're seeing it right from the rabbit to the mitten. It's being done. Can I say I want a mitten from that rabbit over there? Absolutely. Oh, man. You know, they know. do shawls is... and mittens, everything. Yeah. And we have spinning competitions. Oh, this is mind-blowing. And we have also sheep to shawl, where they, they shear the sheep and the wool has to go and they have to spin it and they make a shawl and it's all timed. It's teams that have to do it. I feel like there's nothing you guys can't do. One animal will be here from the first day to the last. Before I became the egg manager, there was a decision made to not have them here for the first three days. And there was such an uproar in the community okay. because we do not have baby pigs and now Where baby are those pigs baby are pigs? you betcha now baby pigs are there right right from the very beginning to the end i've got three or four sows this year i think that will have litters from different breeds so they're kind of different colors but we got to have baby pigs baby pigs so are baby pigs are a staple now absolutely we they're can. among the most popular exhibits ag, ag exhibits at the fair these piglets everybody loves them right. oh, yes. what else does everybody love what do i need to go and see again Ooh, the baby chicks in the youth oh, building oh yes yes baby chicks in the youth bar you can go there it's in the youth building and they have the baby chicks there that have just hatched and they're just yellow and fuzzy and you can pick them up and and then they I take, can hold one you can hold a baby chick in your hands yes. oh my goodness yes so doing okay. that and uh sometimes we have extra uh help and we let people lead llamas so you can lead your own llama so yeah. i can i can, I can go show up I can help judge a rooster crowing competition. Mm -hmm. I can see a baby pig. Yes. I can get a, some gloves made out of the giant rabbit. Yes. Or something. Angora rabbit. The Angora rabbit. And oh, you forgot one of the most biggest attractions. What did I forget? Cows being born, calves. Oh, yes. I've heard about yes, this. The birthing center. Yeah, we have four different farmers that come in, and they bring in their their cows for three or four days, and they're all timed so that there's hopefully, of course you can't always, but they try to have a calf born every single day. Is there any way to know that the calf is being born? Oh, yes. They actually, you go down to the, you go down to the birthing center and you give them your phone number, they'll actually text you when so, the event is about to happen. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of my rooster crowing competition. Mm -hmm. They give me a, a heads up. Hey, calf is being born. I'm like, okay. The competition wraps up and I bolt over. Yep. I see myself a live calf being born. You betcha. You should see the people streaming to that that facility when yeah. the text message goes out. Foom. Yeah. Thousands. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Huge. The best part of it is it isn't you're just not walking in and seeing a calf being born. You have people that are talking you through it. They're telling you and answering questions. And so the people, the beauty of the fair and agriculture is that the people that are truly in Boots on the ground of agriculture are able to answer the questions. It isn't, I heard or I thought. The people that are there are the ones that breed it. They know. They know the right answer. And so the down in the dairy cattle birthing center, those people, they want you to come in. Because people that have different farmers are passionate about their farm. And they want to tell you the truth. They want to tell you what yeah. it takes to make that milk. And, and that a cow will not give milk until she has a calf. And a lot of people don't realize that. If you had a cow and she's never bred and doesn't have a calf, she's never going to give you a, anything. So if I show up and then I'm sitting there and I'm watching everything happen, but I've got questions, well, these people have the answers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. So we're and coming at it from all angles. One. There's more than one person there that's willing to answer. There's veterinarians there. There's farmers there. There's, there's everybody there. And you can get milk and ice cream and dairy down in the area. Yeah. 
We're trying to do it so that we show you, here's a calf being born. Okay, this is the beginning. Now go to the dairy barn and see the cows being milked. Yeah. And then go to the dairy products building and you can eat the end product. So it's all right there. It's like every phase of the process. Yes, yeah. yes. So a thought. We get 10,000 animals on the ground. Mm -hmm. How do we know that those animals are, are safe and, you know, free of disease, clean, whatever? That is actually my number one priority is the safety and health of my animals. Uh, people, yes, we have to take care of people, but at least they're not caretakers of these animals. That is our prime mission. And they, we have Cornell vets that are on site 24 seven. If any animal becomes sick, we have the state vets that are here every single day. And before an animal can come into a barn, the state vet examines them to make sure that they don't have any signs of any kind of disease and that they don't have the right vaccinations. If they don't, the animals are turned away and they have to go home. Now, when, so I show up, or let's say that I bring some friends, or I bring my family and my little cousins or anything like that, do you see a, a difference in reaction between the adults dealing with animals and the kids dealing with animals, or is it pretty universal the way that we respond? My biggest problem sometimes is when I walk through a barn and a child is asking a question to the parent, and the parent gives them the wrong answer. <laughs> and you're like, that's not right, that's yeah, not right. <laughs> you know, because a lot of us that are, are not in agriculture have a pre um, predisposed image or knowledge of agriculture, and they think they know the answer. So that's why we really try to put a lot of information in the barns, and we say, we have people with buttons, may I help you? And we have the superintendents that are there that are, their job is to walk around and listen. Listen for that question, and but be very politically correct when they answer it. You know that. Gee, I heard you say that. Let me tell you something about it. As I said, it's a passion. You want to tell people about it. Yeah. So you kind of overhear the conversation a little bit. And you go, Oh, wait a second. I know exactly what that child is asking. Let me jump in real quick and give yeah. them some a little more information. Well, I've had adults think that only boy cows are in the beef barn, and all the girl cows are in the dairy barn. There you go. And guys, you have to have both male and female for for dairy cows <laughs> and for beef. I mean, that's the way it is. And they they were like, oh, yeah. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it is, as I say, it's uh, it's interesting. And all the answers to your animal questions are right here at the Great New York State Fair. Mel Chesbro, agriculture manager and uh, passionate lover of animals, all things ag. Thanks for taking the time with us today on All's Fair. Anytime. Up next on All's Fair, Mike, we want to talk about uh, some of the diversity that we bring to the fair every year. And some of it that we include because we have wonderful partners who help us include this. One of the great things that the fair has done under Troy Waffner's leadership here is to reach out to the community a lot more, to make the fair more representative of Central New York, to, to look more like everybody here and not just, as Troy would say, a bunch of white guys. We want a more inclusive fair. And one of the first things he was able to accomplish was to take an unofficial day and make it official. So we've got this spectacular thing called Pride Day. I don't know if you're familiar with fairs at all, but lots of people like to go to the fairs, and for many years, not all of them felt welcome. Well, this is one of those things. When you ask, did you know, I did not know this. And our guest today is going to jump into it a little bit. And uh, I'm excited to see where this will go. But I'll throw it back to you, Dave, so we can get into this. So every year, and, and this is one of the things that I coordinate. It's one of my jobs here is to coordinate Pride Day, and it's one of the things that makes me happiest. Um, is to is to get this day rolling. Um, and I work with a lady named Bonnie Strunk. Uh, Bonnie uh, runs an organization called Fair New York. She can talk about that in more detail. And 
lo and behold, she's sitting right in front of us right now. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. So, Bonnie, uh, you know, you know the history of this better than I do. How did we go from a fair that that didn't necessarily include, deliberately include um, LGBT people to one that did? Talk us through the time. Well, uh, my experience goes back a few years. Um, when I came to Syracuse in 1968, I was astounded by two things. Um, the first was in, I arrived in August uh, to a small snowstorm, uh, which almost made me turn around and go back home. But Just I stayed. In Just, Just in, in August. August. <laughs> and the second thing was in coming to the New York State Fair and realizing that there was an unofficial gay day at the fair. Now, this is 1968, before the Stonewall Rebellion, before there really was any recognition at all of the gay community. So finding that there was an unofficial uh, event happening at the New York State Fair was really overwhelming and uh, set a number of people in the community on a path to try to change that to an official recognition, which took forever. But (laughs) let me tell you this about the LGBT community. We are incredibly persistent, and uh, that persistence paid off. So I can tell you that many years ago, many administrations ago, um, we approached the uh, powers that be at the fair to ask that there be an official recognition of a Pride Day. And we were turned down repeatedly, repeatedly. We were told that uh, that wouldn't be possible. It would be uh, something that the fair simply couldn't do. Um, And we finally, uh, as a compromise, asked that the fair permit the LGBT community have a presence at the fair by having a booth, which um, after a number, even that was not welcomed. Um, We had to struggle for several years just to get that to happen. That changed in uh, 2001. um, And in 2001, we had the first um, LGBTQ booth at the fair uh, in the Center of Progress building. And that's continued to the present day. This will be our 18th year at the fair. And of course, as I say, we're very persistent. We never give up. So we went back to the fair repeatedly saying, that's very nice that you have a booth in the Center of Progress building. We appreciate the opportunity to provide educational resources for people and just a place for people to come and and share their experiences and just uh, a welcoming place for people. But we said the fair itself should be welcoming and inclusive of the LGBT community. So finally, after lobbying and lobbying and lobbying, we met with uh, our acting director, Troy Offner, who was, in fact, very welcoming of this idea and took the initiative and realized that this was something that could help make the fair as inclusive and welcoming as it is today. So let me back up just a little bit. All right. You mentioned the Stonewall incident uh, in New York City. I, I think most people would have not much of an idea about what that was and what life was like uh, for people, for LGBT people at that time and through that period where you're lobbying for, for more Uh, here at the fair. The Stonewall Rebellion was in 1969. Uh, The police, uh, at at that time, uh, under New York state law, it was illegal for gay people to uh, uh, use places of public accommodation, including bars. Um, And so the police would frequently raid the Stonewall Inn, which was a very, very popular uh, institution in New York City. Um, And uh, the patrons finally felt that the harassment from the police was too much and they fought back. Uh, That led to a number of uh, rallies and parades. And in fact, 
this next year will be the 50th anniversary of the original Stonewall Rebellion. It's just been such a tremendous uh, evolution. Uh, and in fact, now you might even almost say a revolution with the governor and with uh, the director uh, recognizing Pride Day as an official day at the fair. Well, it's a persistent community is what you had said. Absolutely. And uh, this, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first fair in the country with a Pride Day that has been official for a while. Yes, New York State was the first to recognize this. Um, we were also the first fair to have an LGBTQ present at the fair during the entire run of the fair. Now, again, we're going back 18 years. So this and is the, official and unofficial. We are the first for all that. Right, yes, yes. It's been quite an accomplishment, yeah. And this is the fourth year, is that right? The fourth this is the year fourth year, on? right. So we have... Uh, recognize a number of special events during the day. We have a flag-raising ceremony where the rainbow flag is raised. So people, as they as they come to the fair on Pride Day, they see two things. You can see the rainbow flag flying over the highway as you approach, and also there's the little info, info sign at the fairgrounds, and that broadcast the fact that there is an information fair at the fairgrounds during Pride Day. So um, we have the flag raising uh, in the morning. And um, we have an information fair that runs all day where we actually have national organizations that help support this. So we have national, state, and local LGBT organizations. And then a lot of other community organizations use this as a vehicle for their outreach. Organizations that vary from the American Cancer Society uh, wants to be able to get information out to the LGBT community. Organizations like uh, Moms Demand Action on Gun Control uh, have participated. Then a lot of local organizations. We have a human rights commission in Syracuse and Onondaga County, and they've been very supportive of our work. Um, and a lot of local uh, organizations participate too. So it's a day where people can come and get a lot of resources. It's a day where a lot of people can come where they might not find an affirmation in their personal life. Um, we have one of the most joyous things about this. It just Every, every year, you just have to smile when you see the energy and the joy that young people have and being able to come, participate, help us out. We make up Pride Day stickers and Ally stickers that we give out to people who can say, you know, I support Pride Day, I support Ally Day. So the young people from the Q Center and other organizations come in and help us. Um, so these are kids that might be bullied at school. They might be harassed at school. They might not find support in their immediate family, but they know that they've got a larger community that supports them. So it's one of the reasons why this is so important to us and one of the reasons why we keep doing what we do. Is there a particular story from that that touches you that you remember uh, of, of people being directly helped? Yeah, a lot of young people make a concerted effort to come to the fair to be able to uh, participate in Pride Day, to obtain resources from us. We work with um, organizations like GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, and with chapters of the New York Civil Liberties Union to make sure that young people have the resources so they can go back to their school and say, we're entitled to have a gay-straight alliance at our school. Um, the Dignity for All Students Act says that we have this right. We now have the resources <laughs> because we went to the New York State Fair, incredibly. We got the resources we needed to go back to our local school board and say to them, we have the right to have a gay-straight alliance. We have the right to be recognized. We have the right to not be harassed. We have the right to not uh, be bullied. Um, it's just uh, amazing the resilience of young people. Um, and it literally can bring you to tears when you hear the stories and the struggles that they go to. Knowing that you're, be able, you're help providing resources to help them is, is it's wonderful. 
over the course of the four years that we've had this official day, and I should say for the record that we weren't the first major fair to have a Pride Day. We were the first state fair to do it. Right. I think San Diego Fair was the first one to do it. But it's different when it's a state agency. It's a political decision as well as a social decision. Um, and, and all kudos to Troy for making that call. But how have you seen the attitudes of, of people who are not LGBT change as you walk around the fairgrounds in the last four years? When we first did this, uh, when families would come by, parents would come by with their children, and we have rainbow flags, and we have stickers, and we have buttons that we give out to folks, and kids can find a sticker a mile away. It's amazing. They just have the sticker <laughs> radar. So kids would come want to come up to the booth to get their sticker, and things that would say, uh, love is love, uh, uh, value all families, things like this. So as the families would go by, the parents would see the rainbow, make the connection, and take their children and sort of hustle them away the other way. From that time uh, to the present time, now the parents bring their children to the booth and they say to their children, love is love, take this sticker, we want you to wear it proudly. So during that overall period, there's been a tremendous change. Even in just the last few years, we've seen a real increase in acceptance until this past year. And we are concerned, and this is something that we'll certainly address with our volunteers, there has been a decrease in acceptance acceptance of the LGBT community in national surveys. And we are concerned that could spread to New York State. We're hoping that's not the case, and it's something that we're certainly going to be very aware of as we approach the 2018 fair. But absolutely, you know, you're welcome here. That's the main thing. And and I I assume that it travels, the word travels across the state through the the tight-knit LGBT communities that this is a welcoming place. And I mean, are you seeing people making plans to come from, I don't know, Boston, or Boston Buffalo, Plattsburgh, New York? I mean, oh, absolutely. Uh, they uh, <clears throat> they uh, bring a bus of folks in from Rochester. Uh, they uh, van people in from Buffalo. Um, so we're always happy that folks from the larger areas come, but we're happy to see folks from Buffalo, Rochester, Albany. We're even happier to see people come from the smaller communities. Um, one, uh, during our first uh, Pride Day, we tried to make a list. We'd say to people, where are you from? Adams, New York, um, and uh, a lot of these smaller communities. We gave up because people were coming from so many different communities, so many of the <laughs> smaller communities, um, where people said, we don't have a gay center in our community. We don't have a flag." chapter in our community. We don't have a welcoming church in our community. So we've come here to look for resources that we can take back to our community to make sure that we can help spread the resources, spread the information, and make sure people know that there are welcoming places. So we deliberately reach out to the smaller communities because we know they don't have the larger scale built-in networks that some of the other communities have. Yeah, so this is, it's not just the Syracuse area. It's not even just the the vans or the buses coming from Rochester or Buffalo, but this is a space for people from even the small towns to come, and this is what they see it as. Absolutely, it's, and, and it's more important to us that they come from the smaller towns, and in particular, we see a lot of young people from the smaller communities because uh, there literally are not any places that they can uh available for them. So they come. The Q Center um, has expanded its reach from just being based here in Syracuse to being based in some of the smaller communities in the outlying areas like Utica, Watertown. So we want to make sure that the young people from those areas, you're from the Watertown area, you're from Adams, you're from Canton. There are just so many smaller communities where we are happy to help make the connection, getting the kids the connection to the Q Center there. Bonnie, just to wrap this up, 
what does it mean to you personally to be involved in this, you know, to have, have had a hand in birthing this and now to, to, to take it where it goes? Well, it's certainly been a, a joy for me and for our board and for, we have over 100 volunteers that help out at Pride Day and the different events. And um, everybody has expressed an incredible enthusiasm for this work. In particular, people, there, there are uh, two communities. There's the aging, aging community. A lot of people, uh, LGBTQ seniors, don't have a connection to local resources, so they come to us to look for resources. And then the young people, it's, it's just been a phenomenal experience. It's 18 years of, uh, of hard work and four years over the last, uh, the last four years expanding that outreach. I, I can't tell you how much Pride Day has helped with that. It's, it's made a name across New York State for the LGBT community, and, uh, and everyone is so incredibly appreciative of, of that support and the fact that this has become a truly welcoming and inclusive environment for our community. Bonnie, one more time. Uh, what day is Pride Day and how can we find you when we're at the fair? Uh, Pride Day is the first Friday of the fair. It's Friday, August 24th, and the uh, information uh, fair is located in the Chevy Court Pavilion, and we have other events throughout the day. The flag raising is usually at the front of the build, uh, front of the fairgrounds. Right around 9.30 in the morning. The information fair will run from 10 till probably around 6 o'clock. Um, we have a Pride Day ceremony, uh, which will probably be in the early afternoon, uh, late afternoon, 4 or 5 o'clock in the M- Arts. Empire Theater in the Art Home Center. Right. And then we'll also have entertainment. We have, um, there are... Uh, LGBTQ choruses, uh, the Gay Men's Chorus. So the Syracuse Chorus has participated all three years. They've made a commitment to participating in this year. And we're going to have some announcements about some other choruses that will be joining us this year, particularly now that we know it's handicapped accessible. So, uh, And that will also be in the Empire Theater. And then uh, you participate in the parade. Oh, and of course, the da- how could we forget the how daily parade? How could you forget the parade? The daily parade. The big old parade, yeah. Yes, which everybody loves. We have churches that come in and participate. Um, we have um, community groups that come in and participate. We have marching bands. It's it's a wonderful experience. Yeah, it sounds like a party. To me, it's the most out thing that, that we do on Pride Day because, I mean, oh, that's, that's you know, that just says we're all part of the mix. We're all marching together. It's nothing but positive. I don't see any negative feedback from that ever. No. People applaud. They're, they're happy to see everybody. That's the best thing that we do on Pride Day, I think, is just be part of the gang, right. which is all anybody ever wanted, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Bonnie Strunk, coordinator of Pride Day and Fair New York. She's been fighting for decades for equality for uh, LGBT people across the state, and uh, the fair is happy to participate. By the way, there's going to be a brand new fair logo this year. Oh, yeah? We've got it in pride colors. It's gorgeous. Okay, It is gorgeous, so we'll see that pop up. have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be a good year. Bonnie, thanks so much for coming in. So, Mike, as we wrap up this edition of All's Fair, what struck you? What's on your list now? Well, Dave, there are 10,000 animals at the New York State Fair, but I think I found my favorite one. What's your spirit animal? Yes, my spirit animal (laughs) is something called the Angora Rabbit, the huge, gigantic rabbit that you can get your own mittens made out of. Wouldn't you love a pair of mittens made from uh, Angora fur? That's I can't get it out of my head. That's exactly what I need to get. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm sorry you now have an obsession. Yeah. How about watching a cow being born? You haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen that. I'm bracing for impact. I gotta go. Cool. 
Well, uh, we hope that you found something out today that's going to go on your I Gotta Do It list for this upcoming edition of the Great New York State Fair. Until next time, this has been All's Fair, and on behalf of all of the people who put this podcast together, thanks for your time. And for Mike and me, I'm Dave. We'll see you at the fair.